Welcome to the Uplifting Content Podcast. I'm your host, Ioni Butler, and the founder of Uplifting Content. And every Tuesday, I'll share with you conversations with remarkable guests on a wide range of topics. My goal with this podcast is to introduce you to new people, ideas, and techniques that provide value and insight, which I hope you find uplifting. This week, let's talk about how we can be a great leader with Drew Dudley. Most of our lives, the criteria we've used to make decisions is which option will avoid the most consequences right now. Yeah, it's true. And that is not leadership decision-making. That is basically saying, I'm the type of person who makes decisions like a coward. And while the decisions you make by doing that may avoid short-term consequences, what it does is it leaves in your mind forever a moment where you were less than the person you wanted to be. Drew Dudley is the founder of Day One Leadership Inc., which helps organizations around the world increase their leadership capacity. Now, prior to founding Day One, he spent eight years as the director of one of Canada's largest leadership development programs at the University of Toronto. He also served as national chair of one of Canada's largest youth charities, which mobilized thousands of volunteers to raise millions of dollars annually to support the work of Cystic Fibrosis Canada. Drew has spoken to hundreds of thousands of people on five continents. He's been featured in the Huffington Post, Radio America, Forbes.com, and TED.com, where his TED Talk has been voted one of the 15 most inspirational TED Talks of all times. It's the one about lollipops. I really like it. You should check it out. Now, Drew's first book, This Is Day One, A Practical Guide to Leadership That Matters, debuted at number six on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list and has gone on to become an international bestseller. He's kindly offered to give away a copy of his book, and we'll have the information about how you can sign up in the show notes. I'm sorry that this episode is coming to you a little bit later than it should have. I had interviewed a really lovely guest, but just couldn't make sense of a lot of the things that we were talking about, and so went back and forth for days deciding whether or not to publish the episode. And in the end, I just thought, if I'm not making sense out of it, I don't want to publish that as an episode and give that to you. However, this conversation with Drew was absolutely fantastic, full of lots of insights on how to be a better leader, and I hope you enjoy it. Drew, how are you? I'm pretty amazing. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. We were just having a little chat before we, I hit record about how cold I am. <laughs> and Drew is a Canadian who's calling me a wimp, which is fair, which is very fair. I'm a bad I, I suppose. We're both hanging out in California right now. So who are we? To, and I'm looking out the window and seeing snow. So I feel I was lied to about this whole <laughs> California thing. It can lie sometimes. Um, so what's your story, Drew? Well, that's a a uh, broad question. Right? I guess my my story is a path that went nowhere the uh, the places it was supposed to, which I, from what I can tell in the interviews I've done with people who like their jobs, is generally how it goes. I uh, was supposed to be a lawyer, and uh, because when you get good grades in school and you don't like science, that's what you do, uh, especially if you apparently have a knack for talking. <laughs> and uh, so I went away to university planning to be a lawyer. And what I discovered about halfway through my academic career as an undergraduate, that I really liked engaging with the world a lot more than writing thoughts on it or papers on it, which, mm. you know, no disrespect to any of my fine academic friends, sort of seen what academia was to me is like, let's look at the world and write papers on it. And I started getting heavily involved in a number of fundraisers when I was at university, whether it was in honor of some friends of mine that I lost uh, or 
uh, for a charity in support of Cystic Fibrosis Canada. And as I started to run those events and bring teams together, I realized that I truly loved bringing people together to raise money, I thought. And this is, I think, a lesson for any of us who are moving through life, is that sometimes we attribute the wrong motivation to things. Mm. So I thought I loved fundraising. I thought I liked raising money. It just so happened that what I actually loved was bringing teams together in pursuit of goals. It just so happened that most of our goals were raising money for charity. And often because when you're at university and you're young, you know, you're 19, 20, 21 years of age, if you want to do things on campus, the best way to get away with them, if you want to throw a party, if you want to break a world record is to say, well, it's for charity. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that that's what I wanted to be was a fundraiser. I ended up uh, becoming national chair of a fundraiser that I'd become involved with as a student. My job became to train the young volunteers. And we discovered that these wonderful people in business who were trying to share their insights, they would tend to share their insights from the reality that they know. And I think this was something else I learned from this experience is that they'd come in and they'd be volunteering their time and their insight and their expertise, but they talk about your team and they talk about your budget. And these young people who we were training to raise money on their campuses had neither of those things. Mm. And so I started creating workshops and presentations and, and you know, classes on how to do those things, how to you know, raise money, acquire sponsors, run events, bring teams together from a student perspective, from the reality of my audience. Mm. And in the process discovered, I loved it. Uh, in the process discovered that the number one way to get ideas across to people was to tell stories. Because the story is the basic unit of human understanding. So mm -hmm. everything that we did uh, or everything that I taught was always, okay, here's something that happened that's funny, that's engaging, to which you can relate, and here's the lesson that came from it. And the key that I learned early on was that while you need to tell your stories and share your experiences, it always has to be about the audience. If you're up mm -hmm. there because you want them to know all about you, it doesn't impact nearly as much as if you're up there trying to help them realize that these stories are only here to serve you so you can think about your own. While I was doing that, I was spotted by the Dean of Students at the University of Toronto who said, look, we're trying to build a leadership program that approaches leadership from a different perspective. Our students see themselves as training to be leaders one day. What we wanna do is show them they can be leaders today, that they are leaders right now in everything that they do. And everything that you talk about in your presentations is not about, hey, here's how you become something. It's here's how you take what you have yeah. and apply it. And in doing so, recognize that you were a leader all along. And so what happened is I went from thinking I wanted to be a fundraiser to realizing that, you know what, it wasn't the money that I liked in terms of raising it for causes, though I love doing that. It was this bringing people together in pursuit of a common goal. And as I broke that down into the how-to and drew from experience, what happened was that was pulled over within, into the university, which I did for close to 10 years. I helped build that program for them. Uh, at the end of it, my students, unbeknownst to me, nominated me to, to do a TEDx talk. And that TEDx talk ended up going viral. And people in the audience were speaking agents. And they grabbed me as I came off the stage and said, you want to do this full time? That's and I said, that's not going to happen. No one's going to. No one's going to want this, you know, these stories and uh, this is for young people. And I was wrong. I was tremendously wrong. So that was five, 600 speeches ago in 10 years. And 
eventually that led to the book, which, uh, you know, was, I hoped a couple people would read it a lot more people than that read it. And, uh, this is, uh, it, it did, you know, day one. It, it surprised me, uh, how much people uh, wanted to, to read that. And that sort of became my mission over the last year and a half is to go out and share the ideas in there and, and not try to cram them all into a 60 minute talk anymore, but to actually let people peruse them at their own. So that's my interesting trail. I thought I was going to be a lawyer and then I thought I was going to be a, a professional charity fundraiser. And then I thought I was going to teach students at the university and, and build a program. And then apparently I'm an author. Nah, and, I love this. And now so, I'm in California in February. So I have no <laughs> idea how all this happened, but that's the long and winding road. I like it. I, I interviewed uh, an amazing woman called Christine, Christine Hassler a few weeks ago. And we, I was asking her how she got to where she was today. And she said that it wasn't as if she just decided that she was going to become this, you know, the success that she is. I'm putting the word success in there. She didn't say that, but she didn't decide that all of these things would happen. She just sort of followed, followed where life was going and where things were unfolding. And I like that for you, that's the same thing too. And it can be very stressful if you don't know what it is you should be doing or like what your calling is or like, what's my purpose? And I know a lot of people struggle with that. And I sometimes struggle with that. Just you're another prime example of sort of leaning into what's working, going where you're feeling called to and just, just moving where feels good. So thanks for being another example of that. Well, thank you. It's actually like a fundamental premise of the whole uh, the idea that I teach, the day one concept, which is we, ought, we have very little control over what the future holds. We'd like mm -hmm. to think we do. And we also, as you said, a lot of stress if you don't know what the future holds. The challenge is, is that when you're uncertain about the future, you often hesitate to act in the present because you're afraid you're going to screw up the future. And what happens is we tread water in the meantime. And, and one of the great insights that I, I don't even know where it came from. You know, it, it's a cool life when the best lessons, you can't even remember where they came from. That's, that's the life you want. Uh, but I, I was told, or I read, or maybe I came up with it when I was, you know, still drinking. But the idea was, uh, it's, a lot, it's a lot better to be decisive than certain in life. Because you can be decisive and it's very hard to be certain. So the idea is instead of worrying about where you're supposed to be in the future, the focus falls on, okay, who do I have to be today so that regardless of what the future holds, I'm the type of person I want to be. I'm a person of honesty. I'm a person of resilience. I'm a person of empathy. Whatever happens in the future, being that person means you're good for that. Like you are ready to go. And a big part of it came, you know, the book's a lot about stories and, and stories of leaders who don't fit the conventional mold. And one of the great ones in the book, uh, a guy by the name of uh, Mustafa, told me once as I asked him, you know, what do you, you know, what are some of the insights you pulled as a business owner? Because he ran a tour company in Qatar. And he told me, there's so much focus on the five-year plan when you start a business. And plans are great and, and all. But I don't worry about five-year plans because when you have a plan, what happens is every opportunity that comes to you, you evaluate it based on how well it fits into your plan, yeah. which means opportunities you never conceived ahead of time basically get dismissed without much consideration. Yeah. And so he said, I worry about five-year momentum. And by that, he means I evaluate opportunities by how much momentum they generate in this moment, even if I'm not sure where that momentum is going to take me. Because you can take the option that goes a little slower, but fits into your plan. Or you can say, this option doesn't fit into my plan, but 
that's because I didn't know it might be an option. Yeah. So let's pursue that. So he said five-year momentum is much more important than five-year plans. And you were talking about uh, Christine, who I follow, you know, I met, but I, I follow, I think she's great. Mm-hmm. The idea that, and you talk to these other individuals who I don't know how I got here or this wasn't the mm-hmm. plan. What happens is you focus each day on trying to generate momentum mm-hmm. and you don't have to worry as much about plans. And mm-hmm. my work is saying, okay, well, here's, here's my strategy for generating momentum every day. And a lot of people have different ones, mm-hmm. but I think we become prisoners to our plans. Mm. And, uh, you know, a good friend of mine told me that goals are toxic. Mm. And I'm not sure I fully buy into that idea. But she said, goals are toxic. Because once you set them, no matter what, any day that you don't reach them, it feels like a failure. And so I think uh, that's more, it's a great point because I constantly struggle between this planning and being like going in flow and being, being focused on an objective and then not, but I think, I don't think goals inherently are, are toxic. I think your attitude towards the goal and how you view the goal is toxic, can be toxic. Because, that's a really good way of putting it. Yeah, because, I, because I, I, I feel this way all the time. Everything that I've achieved has become, because I've been very focused and deci- oh, decisive that this is going to happen. And then what I like when, I, when it's a good decision, a solid decision that I feel in alignment with, um, it makes me, it makes things very easy. I know which direction to move in. I know what choices to make to sort of go towards that goal. One of mine is, is moving to Canada right now uh, or getting a permanent residence card for Canada. Hey, can- Canadian. <laughs> and just that has, that's bec- there's been sort of certain things that have come to me that have said, yes, it's a good idea. Then I decided, and now everything is lining up for this process to happen, hopefully very efficiently and easily. Um, but I needed that goal decision. However, there's been times where as an actress, I've wanted things to happen so much and have felt like a failure because I wasn't getting certain roles and I hadn't achieved what I wanted to in life. And it was devastating and heartbreaking and caused me a lot of suffering. But again, it's all my, it's all our, our attitudes around them. So I do see her point, but I don't think goals are inherently toxic. Yeah, I think we also have to always take a look at the individual mm. and we shouldn't, you can't pass judgment on. I, I like to say, here's a tool, here's an approach yeah. to how I do things. I do recognize that it's not going to appeal to everybody. In her case, she was, you know, a Forbes recognized entrepreneur, you know, the hundred most powerful women under 30 or whatever the case may be. And on all of those type of, un, you know, whatever, under whatever list, I'm trying to make the 80 under 80 at some point. <laughs> I believe that you but, can do it. You got time. <laughs> and so that was her life, you know, that, that hustle culture. And then yeah. in the middle of a speech, for reasons we still don't know, she collapsed and hit her head and got oh. a concussion that was supposed to be, oh, this, you know, six weeks and never really did. Uh, she, her uh, traumatic uh, brain injury never fully, and, and healed is a word that she doesn't like to use, but she never returned to what she was before. Mm. And, and, and has really become a fascinating, because she's become an artist, this hard-driving, entrepreneurial, future CEO, that alpha attitude, simply couldn't live that life anymore. Mm. And, and so she started to talk about how toxic goals were in terms of, I'm going to be better in two months, I'm going to be normal in six months. And she sort of said, it, the idea that we chase normal, that to return to normal when we're ill, is something that destroys us. And so instead of trying to return to normal, instead of setting goals for how much better you're going to be, your goal really becomes a daily, uh, a daily process to be like, 
I'm going to do the best that I've got today. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to understand that perspective when you haven't lived with a traumatic brain injury. So mm -hmm. I think all you can do is look for tools yeah. and, and see, I'm going to put this on my tool belt. Okay. This day one process. Okay. That works to this extent. Start mm. with why that works to this extent. I always worry about when someone reads a book and I catch myself doing this and becomes evangelical about right. that idea. And it's so and ridiculous because there's like thousands of them. And it's like, yeah. there's nothing that's just this one passage of God that you're going to read it and follow it. And like, there, there's all, yeah. Take yeah pull, pull from start with why, pull from this is day one, yeah. uh, pull from uh, good to great, whatever the case may be. And I'm pulling from one particular genre, I know. Yeah. But Patrick Lencioni's got great stuff. Uh, the same with leadership theory. Oh, do you believe in servant leadership or the social change model? Oh my God, my eyes are going cross. Uh, <laughs> you know, leadership theory is like theory is the word you add to interesting things to make them boring. But <laughs> if you become completely obsessed with one thing, one process, uh, it's the same idea. You've sort of got tunnel vision. Let's pull from the best ideas we've got. Basically, every idea in the world is like a jagged rock. And uh, it, you sort of hand that rock around and everyone takes a little piece of sandpaper to it. And what you get back at the end of it is a polished stone uh, as opposed to that jagged rock. The problem is we pick up the rock and say, nope, this is my rock and these crevices and rough parts are awesome. And we need to sort of move away from that. Leaders don't become emotionally attached to the, to the right idea that they create. They become uh, part of the creation of the best idea collectively. And I think that's a really important perspective. I think, yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, and it's just what you were saying about kind of picking from all these ideas. I first learned that at drama school where we had these certain teachers and just whatever they said, we idolized everything that they said and like you followed it to a T and because we so bad badly wanted to do well and, and be successful, it was just everything they said. And as soon as I left drama school, I was like, oh my God, like some of it was true. Yeah. And some of it completely set me off on the wrong path with all these beliefs. And so with any type of teaching, I always say, take what, take what resonates, take what works for you and let go of anything else that doesn't. Don't get so attached to all of it, just whatever works for you. So I love that you've highlighted that too. Um, so we wanted, the title of this was about, let's talk about how to be a great leader. Mm -hmm. And I know, does, I love what you've talked about in leadership in your TED talk. Um, and even just now you've been saying that, you know, we, we, we've all got the, the ability to lead today. We've got these things within us um, that we can do and that we have. I do feel like sometimes people don't really realize their potential as a leader. And I like in your TED talk that you asked that question, who's a leader and not many people will put their hands up, not realizing that actually they're a leader. Um, how did you, so there's the experience that you talk about in, in your TED talk, but how did you, um, how did this sort of work come about? Was that when you were teaching in the school, in, in the university or sort of noticing that people weren't, I don't know, owning the fact that, yeah, I can be a great leader. Or, yeah, I, I think, well, there, there isn't a reason for anything. There isn't a starting point. There's reasons for everything. So mm -hmm. the entire approach that, to which I try to, sh that I try to share now, like any idea, came from a million different places over a, a bunch of different times. Ultimately, what it was, was frustration with watching dynamic, caring, driven, and really powerfully contributing young people Mm -hmm. diminish themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, these folks were raising money for charities. They were fighting for social justice. They were stand, sitting out in the cold or, or sleeping for three days overnight to raise awareness of homelessness. Uh, they were you know, not eating for, for days to talk about um, 
you know, food resource problems. And so looking at these individuals, I started to recognize that when I tell them, you know, this is great leadership, they'd be like, well, you know, we're just, and the word just is a diminisher that gets used all the time. And leaders don't allow people who they know are people of worth to diminish themselves in front of you. And every time you hear the word just, we have to ask ourselves, whether it came out of our mouth or somebody else, was that word just used as a diminisher? And if it was, we got to call, call it out, whether it's ourselves or others. And that's what my students were doing. They were training to be leaders one day. They were acting as if what they were doing was automatically diminished because they were doing it when they were very young or they were doing it without much money. And what that meant was they couldn't answer a question that I thought was really important. First time I ever asked it, I had no idea what it did to people. Now I do. I'm going to actually ask you. Mm -hmm. Are you ready for it? Go on in. Why do you matter? Um, because I exist. Uh, because life matters. I'm a miracle. Um, I do nice things for people. I don't know. Is there like multiple things? I could, I could go on for a while, but I do feel, I do feel a little bit like a douchebag for doing it. <laughs> That's the problem. Okay. Now here's the thing. Humility yeah. is not denying what makes you awesome. Humility is recognizing what makes you awesome doesn't make you better than other people. Mm. But I think we've been convinced that humility means, oh, well, no, let's not talk about what makes me great. That's a very clear distinction that not many people get. And, and I've noticed that being an English person in America, um, just first coming out here was very difficult, very difficult. And I was at a networking event recently with some very uh, successful, amazing women, and they all introduced themselves. And I just did this like pathetic little intro that was just like, ugh. And I was like, why did you do that? Everyone else is talking about these incredible businesses and things that they've got going on. And I just was like, oh, I like to uplift people and then just kind of let it go by. And, and I really like that distinction that it's, yeah, I don't think I'm better than anyone, but it's okay to sort of say what I'm doing is making a difference or is cool. Particularly as women, uh, because the whole society is set up to make you feel that way. Yep. Uh, and so the re- how, when was the last time someone asked you if you matter or how you matter or why you matter? No, I don't think anyone ever has. I don't and, know. And that's a problem to me. And that's really to go all the way back to your question, where did this all start? I asked a student that and he said, well, I don't yet. That's oh. why I'm working so hard. Oh. And that's, that is an unacceptable answer to mm-hmm. get from anybody that you care about. Mm-hmm. And so I started asking other students, same stuff. They, they were all acting as if they worked hard enough that one day they could matter. And I started asking professionals, different industries, CEOs. And I was just blown away by how many people are being driven by the idea that I don't matter yet. That's why I'm working so hard. Mm. And so what I started to try to do is to demonstrate to these young people that the only reason they weren't seeing themselves as leaders is because of the way that we define leadership. Mm. And from a very young age, we had taught it by using examples. And this is how we teach concepts, examples. So think about the examples you were given as kids of what a leader was. Mm -hmm. Because whatever those examples were, they shaped your idea of the concept for the rest of your life. 
And your idea, that concept stayed mostly within that box. And the leaders that we used as examples, and we're still doing it to kids today, are giants. They are presidents, or they used to be. They're presidents, they're scientific groundbreakers, and they're people who conquer empires. And that, and most of them are white men. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so that shapes it. And that's what was happening with these students. They saw leadership as a tiny club that you had to compete to get into, that once you got into it, you got more money, more power, more influence. And we couldn't claim that that wasn't the whole point because from the very first time we gave a student a grade, what we were teaching was, hey, this is all a competition. Mm -hmm. Why would we be grading you if it wasn't to rank you? Right. And then make sure the people at the top get people at the, the, at the, the get something people at the bottom don't get. Mm -hmm. And that means that we create this world of scarcity and the idea there's only so much money and only so many jobs and that only you have to race to get to them because there's, you know, once someone does just a little less for you. And that's where it all started is I said, okay, there is a form of leadership that we have to get young people embracing so that we can have everyone else do it. And I started with young people and now it's evolved because I didn't realize how big a lesson this was, that it had carried over well beyond school. Mm -hmm. But I said, okay, I'm not going to claim, because you can't blow smoke up people's butt. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to claim that everyone can be a CEO, that everyone should be a CEO, mm -hmm. that everybody should be in charge of numbers of people. But we needed to embrace the idea that there is a form of leadership to which everyone can and should aspire. Mm -hmm. And that was basically, I, I shrunk it down to this for students. And now I talk about it with people of all ages. The phrase, I'm the type of person who, is almost always followed by a lie. Interesting. We, we just, if you announce something as a truth, mm -hmm. it's very rarely true. Like if something's true, you don't precede it with, let me tell you the truth or believe me, or I'm like, I'm going to announce what's true about me. You're probably lying. There is a gap that forms that exists in all of us between the woman that you want to be or the man that you want to be and how you're actually behaving. There's a gap there. And for some people it's bigger than others, mm -hmm. but that gap exists. The challenge for most people is we either deny the gap exists because we don't like knowing it's there. Or more frequently, we rationalize it. Okay, it's temporary. That gap between who I want to be and how I'm behaving is temporary. It exists until I pay off my student loans. It exists until I deal with my mortgage. It exists until my kids go to college. It exists until I get through this difficult time at work or my relationship, whatever the case may be, right? Mm -hmm. We say it's temporary. And I don't know the secret to happiness. But I will tell you, the secret to unhappiness or a key to unhappiness is when that gap forms between who you want to be and how you're behaving and you become aware of the gap, right? So leadership is recognizing the gap exists, recognizing that that gap is your responsibility. It's nobody else's fault. Mm. And then three, acting in a way that closes it because that is personal leadership. It's also a leadership that whether you're five years old, whether you're 50 years old, whether you're a custodian, or whether you're the dean of the school the custodian, in which the custodian works. Anything that you do every day to close that gap is a form of leadership. And all of the things that we've been taught to find leaders on a broader level, money, power, influence, prestige, success, those are all the natural byproducts that come from working daily on closing that gap. Mm. And so what I wanted to teach young people was, you can't close that gap 
until you focus on it. And as young people, we don't focus on ourselves. We focus on pleasing others so that we can get grades, so we can get into good schools. And what happens is when the rewards for doing that come, we never stop doing it. We become our own worst subjects. We go through an entire education system where nobody ever asks us why we matter. No one ever asks us who we want to be. It's all, what do you want to do one day? Mm -hmm. And as a result, I said, okay, we're going to focus on a type of personal leadership that aligns who you want to be with how you're behaving, which, you know, to dive way more into it, which we don't have to here, determining who you want to be is focused on, okay, well, what are the values that you want to live up to? Have mm -hmm. you ever thought about that? We throw around words like integrity, respect, equity. But when you sit someone down and you say, well, let's, let's put you on the spot once again. I like I it. I like my job. Okay. Somebody <laughs> follows you around. Accepted, Drew. Excellent. <laughs> someone follows you around for 30 days out of your life. And they see every interaction of, what you, of which you're a part. Public, private, online, and virtual. Mm -hmm. They see how you interact with people you love, people you can't stand, and people you've never met before, coffee house, restaurant, grocery store. At the end of those 30 days, if they sat you down, or I, sorry, if I sat that person down and said, you mm -hmm. followed this woman around for one month out of her life, she has no knowledge that you were doing that. What three values would you say she tries to stand for above all others? What three values does she hope to leave in her wake, personally and professionally? And what three values, if she ever had kids, does she want to put out into the world and when she has to make a huge decision, personally or professionally, what values does she pivot to, to, to be the criteria to make that decision? If you've been the woman that you want to be, or if you're listening to this and, you're the, and, you want, and you've been the man that you want to be, what three values do you hope that person says define you as a human? For me, the definitely big one is honesty, which mm -hmm. I think honesty and integrity, to me, they seem like the same thing. I think it's, okay. I'm going to put them together because I think they're the same. Okay. Um, I would like uh, value, I would say, um, uh, these ones I'd like them to say, I don't always think I deliver on them, but um, service oriented or like, um, as in not necessarily waitress service, but um, being of service, like being a good person to people and for people. I don't quite know how that's a value. And Mm, give me some examples of values. Well, you said the you said two of the, the what I call the greatest hits because yes. people really struggle with this. So it's yes. honesty, integrity, <laughs> respect, and kindness. All oh, right. I so these are the great. Like, yeah, I want yeah, that. I want that. These I are like the greatest that. hits, and yes. service is one. I'd say service okay, is one. So here's the thing: integrity, because this is the granddaddy. Okay, mm -hmm. integrity. Mm -hmm. If someone walked up to you, highly intelligent and said, I'm so sorry, English is not my first language. I the word integrity. No, I'm joking. Well, I'm gonna make an America versus Canada comment here. Um, <laughs> or an English versus America. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I forgot completely. Oh, they come and they say, I'm sorry, English is not my first language. What, uh, I, the word integrity doesn't exist in our language, in my mm -hmm. language. What, could you finish this Explain sentence it. for me? Describe Integrity it. is a commitment to what? Um, for me, it's speaking your truth. Um, speaking your truth. Um, what you think, just speaking your truth. 
truth, honesty. Yeah. Okay. So it's speaking your truth. Um, yeah, I guess. And then being my, being my truth. Um, what I think, what I think, how I act, what I do, how I feel, them being in alignment um, for myself and then to other people. Amazing. That alignment idea is when I defined it in the book, a commitment to, it was very much along that, that line of thinking. It's about mm-hmm. that alignment between what you claim to stand for and whether or not that is the criteria you use when you make decisions. Mm. So, but that's probably the first time you've been directly asked to identify your values or define what they mean, right? Well, I did go to date with Destiny, Tony Robbins. And so we did do a bit of stuff, which I actually have to get my thing out and have a look at it. So I've done, I have, I have done thinking. And what I realized was I was prioritizing values, but not prioritizing uh, significance and needing the approval and just acknowledgement from people played a big part. And I was craving that and needing that and just recognizing how desperate I was for that was like, whoa. And then just sort of learning to let the need of approval from other people, let that go. Well, the thing that I really believe is that values aren't values unless they're criteria for decision-making. That's what a value Mm -hmm. is. A value is something you pivot to when you have to make a decision. Mm. Once you identify your values, And you define what the hell they mean, because we use those words all the time to judge ourselves and other people, respect and kindness and honesty. We've never defined what they are in terms of behavior, which Mm. means whenever we live them, we're not noticing. We Mm. also can't plan to live them if you don't define the behaviors that are consistent. And once you do identify and define them, ultimately, it's not just some nice thing that you write down in a book at a conference it has to be what becomes your default way of making decisions once you identify and define values you've given yourself a tool personally and professionally you've given yourself criteria for decision making so from that moment on decision making is a simple but not easy process yeah so what happens is you take a look at the options available to you you hold them up next to the values you said are are yours and you say which one of these options is most consistent with these values. Mm -hmm. The challenge is that usually, yeah, I think I'm okay with saying usually, usually the option that is most consistent with your values sucks. (laughs) It sucks. It's not the one that allows you to take the money. It's not the one that allows you to stay in the job. It's not the one that allows you to remain in the relationship but it's almost always the decision you're happiest you made five years from now. Mm. If you make every decision in your life as if you're standing in front of a group of people that you respect, explaining the decision five years from now, almost all the noise that surrounds decision-making falls away. You you know which decision to make. The challenge is it's not easy to do. It's not the one that avoids consequences. It's not the one that allows you to look good. But the idea of five years from now being able to recognize that that decision was made in a way that for the rest of your life does not make you feel like you were less than you were is a gift that you can give yourself. I have, I don't know if it shows up, tattooed on my left forearm, what would the man I want to be do? Because when you don't know what to do, you ask, what would the man I want to be do? And then do that. The thing is, you need to know what your core values are before you can actually assess you know, what would the man or the woman you want to be do? So my challenge to people who are listening to this or watching this 
is if you haven't clearly identified the values that drive you and define what they mean, what criteria have you been using yeah. to make decisions your whole life? Yeah. And if you're like me, and if you're like a number of people on this planet, most of our lives, the criteria we've used to make decisions is which option will avoid the most consequences right now. Yeah, it's true. And that is not leadership decision-making. That is basically saying, I'm the type of person who makes decisions like a coward. And while the decisions you make by doing that may avoid short-term consequences, what it does is it leaves in your mind forever a moment where you were less than the person you wanted to be. And as those build up, you start to not like yourself, mm -hmm. no matter how much money you might have. And my argument is people who make decisions like that, people who identify their values and create a plan to live them every day, not just whenever they get the chance, but actually know what their values are and prioritize living them each day are leaders. They have way more impact on most people's lives than Mark Zuckerberg ever will. Maybe that's a bad example because Mark Zuckerberg pretty much set people's lives on a daily basis. But, um, you know, like the, the head of GM is going to like, oh, leader, put them up on a pedestal. But the decisions that person makes on a daily basis has a lot less impact on you than the person who sent me a note this morning. A, a dear friend of mine died 48 hours ago. And that's, you know, that that is you know, it throws your world into a bit of a spin. And then out of nowhere today, a note shows up in my Instagram messages, uh, just telling me that they were in the audience nine years ago for my TED talk. And it changed. And the way she said it is it changed who I was. Mm. And I, I don't, I don't, I met this person once. Uh, and that changes my life a hell of a lot more than anybody who gets a biopic film made about them. Mm -hmm. And that person is you for somebody else. That person is, think of somebody who has made your life better, who has made your career better, who has made you feel stronger as a person and tell them that. And that is a much bigger moment of leadership than anything that you're probably going to do if you're a CEO today. Yeah. And that's not to diminish the fact that if you're a CEO, you have however many people's lives in your hands, et cetera. But the day one leadership concept says you, me, that person who emailed me, Mark Zuckerberg, I was going to say Steve Jobs, but that's a bad example now. Um, let's pick someone other than the president. Uh, but every one of those people who has power and who we look up to and all those kids that I used to be in, like that I used to be in front of classrooms with, who they wanted to be one day, we all woke up every single day with having accomplished the exact same number of things that deserve the title of leadership. None. You woke up today, I woke up today, the President of the United States woke up today having accomplished the exact same number of things that qualify as leadership. None today. And so if you do more than any of those CEOs today that impact other people's lives, that live your values, you've been a better leader today than they are. That is an opportunity and an obligation every single day. And if we get people to recognize that, what we're ultimately doing is we're giving them a pathway to believe that they matter, to give you evidence that you matter. Because you said, oh, my life matters. It's, you know, I, cool, but can you prove it today? And you can, but you have to think about it, and it wasn't front of mind. So my whole, my whole leadership is, one, reframing it like that. And we're not, you know, we don't have time today to dive into it. Plus, I want to sell books, right? Yeah. I but, 
the process of doing that is scientific and it's step by step. And it, it deals with conscious motivation and unconscious motivators that, you know, I learned from, from psych profs. <laughs> that the nice thing about being at a university is there's experts on everything. There's a way to do that. But mostly what I want to get people realizing is that they say they're not leaders because they don't have titles and they don't have power. Uh, they don't have influence. You've been taught to think that. But if you know what your values are, if you have a plan to live them, if you make decisions that are hard, but are designed to stick to your values and those values are designed to add value to this world and to yourself and to other people, that's leadership. Give yourself credit for it mm -hmm. because you sending a note like that person sent me today will have a thousand times more impact on another human being than anything that you can do with your title right. in terms of positive impact. Yeah. So I think that's important. It's remind, yeah. Remind, yeah. Yeah. So I just went on a rant. No, it's all right. Yeah, let it all out. <laughs> it was the it was the two it was the two cups of coffee from that coffee maker back there. It makes me jittery. Um, so thank you for kindly offering to give away a spot on your uh, for your online leadership program. Oh yeah. Um, really appreciate it. So one um, a person who uh, signs up to this will be running the giveaway for a month, and then we'll pick a winner, and then you will have access to Drew's leadership program. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I mean, you've, you've spoken a lot about your definition of leadership and I think we've got a good understanding of that and is that um, I'm guessing that it's something that's uh, for, for any type of person it doesn't have to be a CEO obviously um, you're sort of bringing out that leader in all of us sort of with these things that you've been talking about today sure the the key part of the program is that uh, it helps people identify and surface their core values because most people haven't thought about them yeah. And instead of just saying, what are your values? It actually takes you through an activity or a series of activities to surface them. It might surprise you what they are because your behavior is a better indicator of what you value than what you say. Mm. So it actually sort of surfaces your values based on evaluating, you know, behavior and things that you've done in your life. And once you've identified your values, it talks you through how to define them and then how to do a process we call operationalize them, which basically says, here's how to embed them every day into your life. And here's a strategy to make your brain always aware of them in a way that probably isn't the case now. So it helps people uh, discover, define, and then deliver on their values every day. And it basically creates a personalized leadership test. Mm. And tests sound intimidating, but what this test is, is a series of questions that at the end of each day you can look at and say, oh, wow, I found an answer for these. And that means I live my leadership today. And what it does is it gives you the ability to have specific targets every day. And ultimately the program and the book say to people and recognize, I think an essential truth, mm -hmm. you are not always in charge of what you have to do every day, but you're always in charge of who you are. Mm -hmm. You always have that power and the program and the book help you figure out who it is that you want to be, what the behaviors you need to do every day to actually be that person and then it make them more likely the to be part of it. It does. Yeah. And that gap will never go away. Won't mm -hmm. claim it'll go away. It like, can't do it. Don't beat yourself up if it didn't. But it will help you close the gap every day. And even on the days where everything outside of your control in your life blows up in your face, you can look at it and say, yes, but today I was the woman I wanted to be at least in these two ways or these three ways. Mm -hmm. And that's sometimes a gift that we give ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and congrats on the book, by the way. It came out in October? Uh, August, actually. August. Awesome. That was the last time I was home. So yeah, I think it was August. <laughs>
<laughs> so have you been just um, on a book tour and, and promoting that since? Yeah, I mean, it showed up, it debuted on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. That's incredible. Which uh, was one of those moments where when you've written a book that the whole time you think you don't deserve to write a book. Yeah. And you hope that maybe your family will buy it. And then, you know, you get that text saying, uh, you know, you're showed up at number six on the bestseller list and then, you know, got named to a couple of, you know, best business books of the year list. So you have a little bit of a tour planned and then the tour starts to expand. But the, the chance to get and travel around the world and to get to share ideas that you care about with people is a real gift. So it's been a hard time since August. The book's dedicated uh, you know, it came out just shortly after uh, my girlfriend passed away as well. So oh, that has been sort of my tribute to her mm. as we go. And so it's a gift to it's a gift to be able to deal with a number of the things that I talk about in the book that have been challenging by using the process in the book. And I've had yeah. to do that in support of the book as well, because this is tiring and this is hard. Mm. I love doing this, but, you know, there's four of them today uh, to sit and talk about ideas. Mm. But I remember at the end of the day, hey, being who you want to be isn't necessarily supposed to be easy. Mm. And so this talks about how to give yourself credit at the end of the day for the stuff that you did that made you tired. And to recognize that if you're tired at the end of the day, you probably or hopefully are tired because leadership is exhausting. So. Mm. Mm. Wow. So the book is This Is Day One, A Practical Guide to Leadership That Matters um, by Drew. So guys, check that out. Um, Please. It would mean a lot. Yes. Check it out. Get it. Enter to win um, a spot on the, for the leadership program. And I'm so sorry about all your losses. That, uh, oh, I appreciate that. But it, Thank it, you for uh, showing up and smiling and being here today and delivering wisdom in spite of all that stuff so they would all be pretty pissed if i sat around being uh this is the fun, this is the weird the weird thing that i've discovered is that the brightest lights uh are seem to be the ones that we lose mm. and uh given that they were such bright lights i seriously doubt that they would want us to be dim mm -hmm. uh, and one of the things that you know oh this is going to sound cheesy i guess go um, for it i don't know when, when bright lights go away um I think maybe the rest of us have to turn up a light a, a little bit um, because we don't want it to get darker. And so when, mm -hmm. when something bright leaves, um, it's not our job to get darker. It's yeah. hard because we want to, but it's really, that's when we have to put the effort to get a little bit brighter. And it's like being the torchbearer, right? Like taking the light and just continuing it. Yeah. Um, it's too bad when you really think the torchbearer was a better one than you. So, <laughs> Hey, this is leadership stuff. <laughs> it, is. it is. When when we lose them, I think we're allowed for a little while to <laughs> to do that, and then we got to pick up and and keep on rolling. But hey, without Anastasia, the book wouldn't have been released, mm. and uh, so that you know the things that we say in one moment, we have absolutely no idea how they're going to impact people, and and I don't know if when she made me promise to put that like to take the book out of a drawer and stop being afraid and put it out there, I had no idea how that one statement would change my life. Mm -hmm. And you today have no idea what one note you send, what one text you send um, is, you know, how it's going to land. And yeah. so do it. And in the big leadership for what it's worth, my friends, is that if you have a friend that you've been meaning to reach out to, that you've been worried about, that you're like, oh, I'll call them tomorrow, call them today. 
Uh, yeah. You have no idea when that when that phone ringing rings at just the right moment. Yeah, it can be a lifesaver. Definitely, Drew. Thank you for this fabulous chat. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for asking me. It's it's a wonderful uh, honor when people are like, "We'd like you to share ideas." So thank you, and keep doing what you're doing. It gives, you. you know. I was going to say awesome people, but then it sounds like I'm saying I'm an awesome person. I am an awesome person. I'm just not better than anybody. I'm awesome. Say it. Look in the mirror and say you're awesome. One of my students taught me that. Um, but uh, it does get the people the opportunity to share their ideas. And that's awesome. Yeah. I, uh, I'm working on a book at the minute uh, called Uplifting Stories, which is a collection of really remarkable, incredible people's stories. I guess similar, similar in style to yours. Um, because there are so many great people and um, sometimes we just need to put the attention on them because yeah. there's a lot of attention on people that aren't so great and it just makes us all miserable. So yeah, just... Just yeah, them yeah, there is. Yeah. So, well, I hope I see you at the hockey rink someday, eh? And uh, yeah. enjoy this stuff in Canada because, you know, it's awesome. Just bring your toque. <laughs> what does that mean? Is that a car? <laughs> <laughs> no, a, a toque is like a winter hat. Uh, usually, usually with like one of those little pom-poms on the top. But I had no idea that was such a Canadian word because when I use it down, because everyone, it's California, it's like 52 degrees and people are wrapped up. They've got mittens and scarves and, <laughs> and you're in a just like, you have no idea. They're like the polar vortex is the worst. Just like, really? I have a friend of mine who uh, took a picture. He took ramen noodles outside, pulled them up in chopsticks and then let go. And the chopsticks just sat there. Wow. And I'm just like, hey, California. 52. <laughs> Roll with it. That's, yeah, so I do want to go to Canada. I'm not going to be there in the winter. I just don't think I can handle it. You know? I'm not there in the winter. But yeah. That okay. tells you something. I, know. I love my country, but I love it from May to November. <laughs> yes. The colors are very nice in November, and they're basically saying, leave now. Yeah, leave get now. out. Get, get out, out now while you can. <laughs> Because you can't even get home now because the airport's shut. Because <laughs> it's so cold. If I'm going to get stuck somewhere, uh, San Francisco's not the worst place in the world. Exactly. Yeah. Well, enjoy. I hope you get home safely very Thank soon. Thank you. And um, thanks again. My absolute pleasure. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Uplifting Content Podcast with me, Ioni Butler. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review so that more people can find it. And to make sure you never miss a beat, subscribe to our weekly dose of uplifting content, which is an email from me about the best of uplifting content from that week, be it giveaways, videos, interviews, all the good stuff. And as a bonus, when you subscribe, you'll get a hundred of our inspirational memes to share on your social media. The sign-up link is in the show notes. See you next time.